Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gregor Robertson and alongside me today are Tom Roddy, Tony Cascarino and Alison Rudd. Let's get straight into it. The big one at the Emirates. Another frenzied, emotional, wild game at the Emirates on uh, um, on Sunday against Manchester United. Alison, you were there. Declan Rice was the hero. Rice, Rice, baby. Yeah, Belting out at the yeah. end. What did you make of that <laughs> and the game? Well, I, I'm still a little shell-shocked from it all. Uh, it's my first game at the Emirates this season and they now sing an anthem before kick-off. It's so artificial. Can you sing it, you sing it for us? It's please? tuneless, so I can't. It's not even catchy. <laughs> and it's a sort of mournful song that speaks of, I don't know, fishermen lost at sea or something. <laughs> That's how it feels. And it's the sort of song that you should only sing if you know that your great-grandfather sang it as well when he supported the <laughs> Arsenal. And so it's just come from nowhere. And yet, but I have to admit, everybody sang it. And it it set the scene for a quite remarkable febrile atmosphere my ears didn't literally bleed but I did check to see if they were because the cacophony I haven't come across that at the Emirates ever you've been quite scathing of the Emirates like in recent seasons um, yeah so they've it has changed hasn't it and this is why they've done it because you're not going to win the title unless you've got fans that back you when things go wrong you need to know that they're there come what may and it it worked because Arsenal didn't play particularly well Part of the reason they got over the line was this incredible, raucous atmosphere cheering them on, which must have made them feel like they were playing well, even when they weren't. So, you know, and the Rice Rice baby at the end, you'd think, wow, you know, Declan Rice must have must have had one of those 10 out of 10 games. Well, he didn't. I mean, he scored a lucky goal and probably was influential for about half an hour. I mean, he wasn't like he dominated the game. So there's, it's a difficult match to sort of get your senses and your brain working in tandem together they were overall Arsenal were the better team but I did think they were very vulnerable to counter-attacks Christian Eriksen was the only grown-up on the pitch for Manchester United but his distribution was fantastic and he set up the opening goal with a lovely sweeping pass and he, he got the ball because Kai Havertz lost possession and it I found myself trying not to but I couldn't help but watch Kai Havertz because it was sort of mesmeric how awful it is for him there that fresh air shot <laughs> I know I'd set, set the tone for him and when you wouldn't if you were doing a script you wouldn't write that because it'd be a bit obvious you've had your manager telling the fans please be patient with him show him some you know love this is going to work out and so you, you sort of sense that the fans were they were in a generous mood 
and there wasn't too much groaning when he missed that airship, but he was there in the air, this sense of, really? Really, why are we supposed to give this player love? He's just not on the same wavelength as everybody else. So Arsenal improved when he went off, actually. There, there was a sense of that sort of tentativeness in the attack where the players... I mean, for example, Havertz would make the same run as someone else, often Martinelli. He would... He kept thinking, to, I kept thinking, why are you doing that? You know, you've got to show something different. He, he looked inhibited and worried. And when he went off, they... they they looked more fluid as an attack and freer as an attack. But whilst it was a thrilling, thrilling match, I think overall the quality on show, certainly from Arsenal's point of view, that they're not saying to City, oh, look out, look out, we are here to, to do it this time around. Tony made a similar point that I made as well in the paper, which is Arsenal have to calm down a little bit. You yeah. they're, they're hurtling, to me, they're hurtling towards October the 8th, which is when they meet... Manchester City it's as though Arteta wants to get the season this part of the season out of the way as quickly as possible and then the big games the really big games against City and then when he wins that he will show that he can win the title but it, 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 I don't think it's sustainable to play at this sort of level of frenetic pace and they're going to come unstuck. They, they they almost came unstuck against Manchester, a not very good Manchester United team. It's a, it's a great way to win but as Alison's saying it's does that feel a sustainable way to, to get through a Premier League campaign if you want to challenge for the title? Do we know what the XG was? Because this is this is the hipster podcast <laughs> on a Monday, isn't it? You Go did, on then. You, you did must, must know. You brought it up. Right. That was, <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting two weeks to correct this. Scandalously Take that, Martin Samuel. Tom <laughs> yeah, I, I, funnily enough, I was looking at it more from a Man United uh, perspective and... Again, they don't win on the road to one of their their big rivals. But even though Ten Hag afterwards sounded like a really desperate man in his comments about the the VAR line being at the wrong angle, strange, strange, and wasn't very it? strange, and the and the penal and the penalty shouts. I didn't I didn't really agree with him on on any of them, and yet I was actually kind of encouraged at the end by United and the reason for that was Rasmus Hoyland because a couple of weeks ago uh, I raised the point about the expectation and pressure that was going to be on him when he came into the team because of them having such a poor start but actually I thought he responded to it and they they kind of it was like they fell into place when he came on they they it was a more natural fit more of a balance like um like a like a rubik's cube slowly getting to that moment where it's full they're definitely not at that stage yet <laughs> but it was getting a little bit closer to it where they they just rashford looked so much more comfortable out on the left and ali wrote about Hoyland's relationship with Christian Eriksen and it was just the way he it wasn't the longest cameo but in that in that environment it was a real sort of baptism of fire and welcome to English football and he responded to and it and he's got hugely. a back issue so I the big question was whether he'd come on and be tentative in any way because he's had this back issue which had delayed his debut but he was incredibly boisterous and yeah. physical mm. and keen to get get stuck in this wasn't a player worrying about his fitness so that was from a United point of view very encouraging indeed just how physical he was Tony it's it still fine margins though isn't it I mean yeah. we, we, as we say there wasn't much quality in the game for really the first hour for most of the game 
and then Garnacho scored an offside. What was it? An offside goal disallowed by VAR. And you know, you could have almost been talking about a Manchester United kind of dogged, compact performance, a way win. And now we're talking about you know the focus is on you know are they really shown enough in terms of a attacking patterns of play anything to, to actually go and win a game it's, but it was quite you know the margins were quite fine yeah, in this game yeah I get that look Arsenal started the game really brightly um, and United were trying to beat the world record in passing from out the back <laughs> from the goal I mean Anana is just it feels like I look at Anana and I get thinking do you want the trickiest ball out the back to play and then say look he can play out the outside of his boot he's number one best footballing goalkeeper which he loves, he seems to embrace that, which is fine. But I'm looking, thinking some of the best players in the world might not attempt that pass out the back, and he will. So I sort of think that um, it's interesting that if you add dynamism to a team, and Ganacho and obviously Hoyland, who, who obviously I think he gives that. You know, you're you're talking straight away about a different dynamic in the forward line as soon as the two subs came on. And look, there are fine lines. I mean, I thought in normal time, I thought. He's on. Then I saw the angle, and I still think he's still on. And then it comes over. He's a red, a red line, and he's off. Okay, they're fine margins. Which Declan Rice talked about. I think the bigger picture for United is they carry a few. They carry Marshall. They carry him. He doesn't do enough. We've we've talked about Rasmus Haaland coming on. What did he do? He just made it hard for defenders. Marshall doesn't make it hard for anybody. He makes it hard for his own teammates. You know, there's got to be more from him. You know, this this lad's come over as a kid from Monaco. It's been how long has he been there now? Seven years at Man United? Six, seven years? I I just don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I agree with Cass on that. And it, and watching the game yesterday, I know there's there's injuries involved there as well. But you see, the, the game finished with Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans at the back. Mm. I know Martial was off the pitch by then, but Paul Hurst was writing at the beginning of summer about the target for United was obviously to improve the squad but also get rid of the the deadwood and Martial has definitely been that for a long time he's been given countless opportunities and they finished the game with a 35 year old Johnny Evans and (laughs) Harry Maguire at centre back but but, but Martial's interesting because I called it the least surprising substitution you'll ever see Mm. that Hoyland would come on for Martial I mean everyone in the universe knew that was going to be the substitution and, that, and and I'm sure Martial knew that was going to be the well, situation. Yeah. But did, did he did he take that as a incentive to put in one of his better performances or no? You know, really throw his weight around or show That's his pace. Or, well, he, no. he didn't. He, he accept he he accepted this is the end of my United mm. career. One manager said to, to me at my very start of my career at Gillingham, Keith Peacock, and he said to me, "If you're having a bad game, have a stinker." <laughs> I used to think, "What does that mean?" Really, when he first said it to me, it means never stop wanting the ball. Never stop trying. Get on the ball. Face up for your players. Make sure you're still available for them. And then within that, you can have a stinker because you're having a bad day. And by the, by the way, I did have some real stinkers in my career. But I always had it in my head of Keith Peacock, my manager, telling me never, ever hide in a game. Now, it, we could be a bit unfair on Martial in, in some way where is he hiding? I just feel there has to be more in your the way your demeanour on the pitch, the way that centre-halves are looking think, I'm up against Martial today. Yeah, yeah will yeah. you? <laughs> he ain't gonna run. He ain't gonna chase me. He ain't gonna hustle me. He ain't gonna make my life difficult. Yeah. You know that's the opposition because that's how I would see him. 
Um, and I think there was there's lots of complicated things at United. It's very complex how this team is so is been put together. It just doesn't look. Even Casemiro looks a way poorer player than when he first turned up at Man United. You know, now looks like a player that's left isolated at times because it's not quite right in the middle of the park. You know, so they've got a number of issues to deal with. And I don't see a better team than last year. And I think a lot is, as Tom wrote about a couple of weeks ago, you know, the lad Hoyland's coming in and he has to be devastating. But it might, in some ways, they might, with Ganacho and Hoyland and Rashford, in that three, because also I'm a bit suspicious of Pete, um, oh, I was going to say Peter Beagree because he reminds me so much of Peter <laughs> Beagree. I feel like I'm being unfair to Peter Beagree if everybody mentioned, but he used to twist and turn and turn and turn. Anthony, and Anthony. Anthony yeah. does it ten times worse, you know, than um, than Peter Beagree did it. But he was effective as well, Peter Beagree. But Anthony, it looks like they didn't want to give him the ball. Well, no. well why would you? You know, you're not getting well. it back. If I'm the centre forward, <laughs> if I'm the centre, and this is where I probably could defend Martial. If I'm the centre forward, I'd go once. No, not coming. Again, no, not coming in. Um, what's the point of going? <laughs> Just about to have my hands up in the air. Was it? You know, I, I think he would frustrate his fellow. Which you know, I think Wambazaka in, in front of him as well sometimes thinks, "I give it to him." And is it worth overlapping him? Because he's just going to cut inside or do a trick, do a trick. And I think he's a he's a dangerous player for other players because he gives them problems instead of solutions to you know what they're trying to achieve. Just finally, on this, we've, we've already mentioned Ten Hag's kind of. Strange, uh, not an outburst, but you know, he was calling everything under the sun, blaming officials, technology. He even sort of referenced Jaden Jaden Sancho, who wasn't there, said that was because of his performance in training during the weekend. Sancho has come out on social media afterwards and sort of disagreed pretty firmly with that that statement. Um, what do we make of that whole episode? Is it wise of Sancho to, Sancho to have done that? Was it unfair of Ten Hag to? They kind of publicly called him out like that. It's, it's hard to say whether it was unfair of him to to call him out like that without being there. But I do wonder whether Ten Hag would have said the same thing had they won the game. He was clearly very emotional after the game, and then Sancho's gone boom and hit the nuclear button by putting that post out because uh, I think that puts him back at least three steps, if not you. Rio Ferdinand suggesting he could end up going to Saudi if he wants to play if he wants to play this season because he just won't because he won't play he won't he won't be involved after making comments like that and it was clear you know this was very pointed saying I've been made a scapegoat and actually looking back on the timeline I think Ten Hag's handling of Sancho has been been very progressive really where he left him out of that winter if I remember rightly left him out of the winter training camp and spoke about the physical and mental um, aspects that he needed to work on he said about the need to be patient and back right at the very beginning when he was signed for United for 73 million pounds third most expensive Englishman of all time at that in that summer and I remember the the reports later on that a lot of people were unimpressed by his performances in training in that first training session his his levels weren't there at that stage so what the way I read Ten Hag's comments yesterday is Sancho comes back into the fold he is now part of it he had a 
decent pre-season playing as a false nine and now he's almost trying the stick instead of the arm around the shoulder just to kind of encourage him and get him to the to the right level because he's he's obviously not at the moment what do we think why is to use social media as a as a platform to publicly disagree with your manager Gregor think of the managers you've played under how would they react to it you know come on you have a word quietly now we don't know the dynamics at the training ground and what's been said behind closed doors we don't know that but certainly there's a breakdown in the relationship and Tom's absolutely spot on talking about you know how kind and understanding he was as a manager and a coach showed that that he he felt like he had a he was trying to find a solution to get a better player out of him. But you also got to remember if you if you want to broaden it a bit and go, well, Gav Southgate left him out of England. Well, you could say it's on performances, but he also said about turning up late. He's got to be really careful because when you play poorly or you're playing below your standard, it's expected of you. If the fans get angry and frustrated with you, certainly your players and your colleagues alongside you, like Tom said. In training, I was surprised that he wasn't up to it. He wasn't up to the speed of the game. And I've, I've now, what has he played? Over 70 games for, on and off, I know he's substitute, over 70 games for uh, Man United at the moment. No, he's not like he's not had a chance. You know, Kai Havertz is getting, and rightly so, he's not played well, you know, but kind of under, under scrutiny. Sancho's played, what? We're talking, we're talking four, four games for Arsenal, five games, Kai Havertz. Sancho's had 70 games to impress and he hasn't impressed at all I've watched him numerous times and come off there's got to be more from you you know you've got to take you've got to make a right back think about defending or you're you're trying to get in deep areas get to the byline he, he's you know he's, he's a guy that was meant to be blessed with pace I've never seen him get to the byline you know to pull things back and you know Martinelli one of his big strengths and you see it enough yesterday Wan Bazaka's quick and he's also good at one on ones but Martinelli was trying to get to the byline against him he never stopped sometimes he didn't do it but you know what he won a number of corners with an outstretched leg by Juan Bazaka mm. and Sancho is not playing well going to social media is not an answer you privately have a conversation and also and if you're going to be brave enough to say um, I'm a scapegoat I'm a scapegoat well say your reasons for why you're a scapegoat if you're prepared to just throw that out there I think you might as well go the whole hog we move on to Stamford Bridge, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting one. Uh, headline in your your piece in the game today was why spend one billion and not buy a finisher. This is after Chelsea's one 0 defeat to Nottingham Forest at home. Yeah. yeah, well, it was the it was the takeaway I had from leaving the ground on Saturday was because they created chances, Chelsea, not loads and loads, but and never really. I was what rewatching um, the highlights back this morning and. Uh, thought it made it look like they were getting closer and closer the, the atmosphere in the ground wasn't like that it never felt like they were going to score at all and my reflection was that the Cole Palmer transfer tipped spending into a, over a billion pounds for Toboli and Clear Lake Capital over 18 months so many players coming in and they just haven't got a goal scorer in there and I don't actually mean that in I mean it for games like this where I think this year you could see Raheem Sterling uh, getting a lot of goals he started the season well 
He's obviously built a good relationship under Poch- uh, with Pochettino. Nicholas Jackson is, I really like him. Uh, I warm to him immediately in that he's just such a hard-working player. He's got really good quality on the ball. I think in the opposite way to Martial, he'd be a nightmare to play against. Really hard to you play see against. the fans have warmed him as well, I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Despite his kind of struggles in front of goal. Yeah, so there's, and that's the that was the sort of key, was that big open goal miss that he yeah. has late on. And... I think they'll get, they'll have a, a group of players who score quite a few goals this season, but there in there isn't a number nine in there who is going to on days when you're not creating enough chances will get you out of jail by taking the one opportunity they have. Cass said about you know having a ending up if you're having a bad day of a of a stinker. There's there's strikers who have stinkers but come out come out actually quite positively because they've taken their one chance done nothing well even Aubameyang's not a great example but he actually scored a few goals at Chelsea last season when he had a terrible game but he'd take his one opportunity and it wasn't that was never going to work long term but just I'm surprised that they didn't bring someone in of that quality and and it's not it's not that they haven't been that they've had a plan and gone with that and not changed from it because you've had points this summer where Tyler Adams has been having a medical he's been on the verge of joining the club and then Liverpool come in with the bid for Caicedo and they go no we really want we need to get him so we're going we need that money in order to get Caicedo they are they've been quite dynamic this summer so I just don't see why there there couldn't have been efforts to go for a go for a goal scorer and I know that's I know that's not easy to do uh, I know they are the most expensive players on the planet usually that's also Kunku, something we've been seeing who's injured as well and that yeah. was unlucky yeah. wasn't it yeah, yeah. But this is not something new either we've been having the same kind of discussion for quite a while what just quickly what what was their their play like their build-up play until that point I think you wrote they had 22 chances in the game and although only hit two on target but were there any promising signs in Pochettino's kind of? I actually thought, I thought this was maybe the a step back. So they've had two defeats so far. The West Ham one seemed highly negative, but actually, I thought it was more positive than this because they played really well in that game. And I think if Enzo Fernandez scores the penalty just before half time, they win it comfortably. This wasn't quite so much because. That they never because of the fact they never look like scoring and and that feeds into a little bit why I wrote the piece about the the striker missing because they the build up was okay but they couldn't break down that type of defense that was that was the problem it was a it was a really really disciplined defensive performance by uh, Nottingham Forest and the the story of you know Joe Worrell and what he went through with the bereavement in his family he was excellent in that game and kind of represented what or re- represented what they were doing um, and the way they approached it and Forrest had a game plan that just worked to perfection and the, and the other problem for Chelsea is that they've played um, five games so far this season they've kept one clean sheet and that was against Luton so they're open at the back as well as not taking they're not clinical enough in attack. But you you were on the you went to see Chelsea on their pre season mm-hmm. tour in America, didn't you? And I think they 
mainly played four at the back and they look quite attacking. Why Why now that real stuff started? Are they playing what looks like a quite conservative formation with three at the back and they don't look like they're ever going to flood forward? Yeah, well, p- partially, and I, and I think you're right, Ali, it is, this is probably one of the problems, but it, at the, it was at the West Ham game and Pochettino said, I played four at the back. It wasn't a three. It looks like a a three but what he Colwell is actually the left back but I, I'm I agree with you Ali I, I still think it I still think Colwell wants to play inside so actually more often than not it's actually more like a back three but Ben Chilwell is is essentially a winger so so to an, to another point if you are Michaela Mudrick or Ian Matson who had an excellent uh, pre-season but not many people are talking about him they tried Cole to push Palmer. out the door though didn't they yes yeah exactly another so Cole Palmer uh, was obviously new and had a had a pretty positive debut off the bench or Nadi, Noni Madueki and you're thinking they've signed all of these forwardy wingery players <laughs> and the left back is playing <laughs> winger winger yeah. Uh, you might be slightly confused. I mean, I, I I still think it'll come good for Chelsea. And I do... Uh, Pochettino said after the window that will settle us, which I, you know, I, I agree with and speaks to the conversation that's been going on for a long time now and will keep going on about the transfer deadline closing before the, the season starts rather than after it starts. Um, but... I also heard a change in his messaging. When he was unveiled, he said they need to hit the ground running. There are there are no excuses. And this weekend, he said, oh, it's a process and it, sometimes it takes time. And, and I, I, I totally understand why he's saying that and what, what he's saying. But it, it was interesting to notice that little shift in uh, in the way he speaks. So who who impressed you for Nottingham Forest? Anthony Alanga scored the yeah scored the what was the winning goal? Yeah, great yeah. little kind of certainly in the highlights some little little flourishes on the byline as well. Yeah, exactly. Kind of and Mudrick. looks like it could be a he's he's really kind of calm. Yeah. He's calm in the in the in the final third. But I mean, there was Steve Cooper was so upset to have lost Brennan Johnson, but a one year would be the yeah. one that you you would want to lose because we. D- we're talking about teams and and managers buying so many of these forward players now, and the and the lack of number nine options. He's he's brilliant, Awanyi. Would you would you argue, Tom, that Awanyi is exactly what Chelsea need in some bizarre way? But, but yeah, possi- possibly. Yeah, possibly. It's funny we would not have been seeing that at the start no, of last no. season. No, and um, look, I think he's on a good run. But well, look, if you think about Forest and you think about Chelsea. Both of them have been incredibly aggressive and they've gone after loads of players. Last summer was incredible. I was like, oh, it's mind-boggling what Forrest are doing. And Chelsea have done it even at a more extreme level with the amount of finance they've spent. But if you look at the two structures of the team, one looks way more settled than Chelsea. You know, Forrest looked way more... Steve Cooper's managed to somehow formulate yeah, a team. despite everything, yeah. And in spite of everything, and you're right, Brennan Johnson's a big loss for them, but there's still a structure of a side there that looks like they can affect... And, and you know, let's let's get right. You know, the game at um, Old Trafford. They were unfortunate yeah, they to get a, be on the end of that yeah. result. 
You know, they, they were, they'd done enough in that game to get something. There are parallels between these two clubs as well, because I think yeah. Forrest brought it to 40, 40 signings since they were promoted. Yeah. Uh, it's mad. This summer. And the two players who, you know, probably stood out and still stand out are Worrell and Yates, mm-hmm. two homegrown players. Johnson had to really be sold because of all the yeah. excess. Because yeah. as we've said so many times now, there's this new term, pure profit, because he is a homegrown player. And Chelsea have tried. Have had to do the same. They tried to do again. As I said, Ian Matson. They tried to usher out the door to Burnley. They've chosen to do the same. Not yeah. had. To, not had to. No. No. Well. Yeah. They have chosen. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I think Forest. Forest. I'm not sure you could say they've chosen to do no. this, but they they had to do it. But it's sad that I mean because yeah. there's something about you know Warrell as and Yates who still are like a, the heartbeat of this team despite all the change around them. Yeah. And Chelsea did have that, and they're kind of lose, even losing that. But you're right. You're right about the parallels between Forest and Chelsea because actually the the first couple of weeks of the season, I've had a look at Tottenham and thought of Chelsea because of the speed at which Ange Postecoglou has totally transformed the way they play. There hasn't been a a, a process there that happened pretty much overnight. I, I can't think of many more conservative teams than. Tottenham last season and now they're an absolute joy to watch so he's he's done that absolutely immediately but the difference is that Postacoglu was the one of the only people to come in at Spurs that it is settled pretty settled behind the scenes whereas Chelsea and Forest are the, are the clubs where all around there is change so it, it all has to find a it all has to settle down, really. It's not just the playing department. OK, we'll we'll talk Spurs next. But if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you're, you're subscribed. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game for the latest subscription offer. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Okay, a five-star showing for Tottenham Hotspur at Burnley. Harry Who was the headline in Charlotte <laughs> Dunker's piece in the game today. Uh, a hat-trick for Son One of three hat-tricks this weekend um, As well as Evan Ferguson uh, Brighton and Erling Haaland At Manchester City But as Charlotte writes today, Tony The the way that Tottenham are managing to kind of spread the goals And the kind of creative burden as well Because as we know, Harry Kane mm-hmm. Contributes so much in terms of dropping deep And creating for Spurs as well And now the kind of front foot Free-flowing attacking football Has been a bit of a joy to behold so far yeah, and um, I used a line at the weekend on the radio that I sort of brought up at the moment on the moment was that James Snow Madison because he set, settled so quickly 
Called him Snow. He's literally... I mean, I can't remember a player. <laughs> I can't. I mean, you have to be careful when you, you say that, the way you say it. But, um, but do you know when you see a player come to a football club and you think, he's playing like he's been there three years. Mm. I'm watching him play and seeing a player just... And, and where we've got it wrong, and I thought about this at the start of the season, because I'm looking at Richarlison, and we've talked about Richarlison about playing that role, but Son's played that on-the-shoulder role all the time in his career when he's been at his best and Harry Kane's dropped in and he suddenly sees a pass and he threads it through to Son and he's on his bike he gets loads of one-on-ones yeah and well what's exactly James Madison's best assets is he sees that early pass that ball that if someone makes a run I'm giving it to you so you make it and Richardson wasn't doing that and Son has come you know his relationship has looked really telepathic already with Madison Madison's had a massive impact to the way I think Spurs will concede a load of goals. I just don't see a defensive side to them yet. Does it really matter when they get five? Well, well, no, not at the moment. But along the way, there's going to be a much tougher or more sides that are more stingy. They don't give you a thing. And I think that's where the complicated times will come for Spurs. But there is a new dynamic. The fourth goal. The fourth goal, which Song got, they were 3-1 up. And it's five people in the 18-yard box. Five mm. bodies in the 18-yard box. To me, that is everything about getting to go, trying to get goals. Trying to, you know, we would have looked at last year and Conte was 2-1 up, 3-1 up. They're not getting a third and they're not going to fourth. You know, generally that wasn't their style. So I, I now look at it and think, even if they're winning a game, and this is where Man City were brilliant, this is where Liverpool were brilliant. Manchester United used to do it as well. They throw the kitchen sink at you when they were, you were two and you know they're winning two one three one. They're still coming after you for a fourth and fifth. That will be the exciting thing for Spurs fans because this ter- Spurs team will keep coming at you. But it's not oh, that it's not that revelatory really no. because whenever Kane was injured, Son would play as the main striker, and it's he true. always delivered. Mm. So if if I was taking over at Spurs, I would have looked back at those. And knowing that Harry Kane was probably going to leave, I'd have looked back at what Spurs did when Harry Kane was out injured and thought, ah, it's okay. It's not, it's not a big deal. Look at, look, at, I've got, I mean, Son is an incredible player who was hampered by injury last season. And that's not his fault. And probably what is his fault is he kept going when he probably should have had some rest, actually. I think he played games he shouldn't have played. But to have him in your team is such an asset. And as you say, he's such an intelligent player. If someone's else intelligent on the pitch, You've got it. Yeah. They'll, they'll be they'll be phenomenal. So what's changed then is is what's going on behind them actually because I think the fifth goal was it the fifth goal that probably epitomised it was when Pedro Porro stepped forward into midfield to receive the ball where most fullbacks would pull out wide. Yeah, opened up, whipped a great ball in behind for for Son to run onto, and that's the kind of between him and Udogi on the left coming inside that seems to be the biggest change for Spurs certainly in the build up play. As you say, there's so many options going forward. They've Brendan Johnson to come in. Manor Solomon as well had a really impressive. He looked, he linked yeah, really well with Song. Ben Ten caused two assists. Had a long injury, yeah. and he's a he's a he's a really good footballer. Sees things, smart player. You know, the signs are good. I just think they will concede a number of goals, but that that's Angeball. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> going to concede loads. So do we think? You know, do we think this is sustainable for Spurs? You're saying they're going to concede goals. You you won't always score five. No. Do we think it feels how far, how far more sustainable we... than the current a- attitude at Arsenal? To be honest, because it it feels more, it, it just feels more inherent and like the plan. And for as long as they've got Postecoglou, this is what they're going to do. There's no plan B. That's what they're going to be. 
and it works because that's supposedly part of the Tottenham DNA to be like that anyway. Mm. So everyone's buying into it. As I was talking about, my my brain was frazzled by the change in attitude at the Emirates. The Spurs fans have very quickly decided that Ange is the Messiah. They, they, They love it. So if there's no negative reaction to when they do concede and get a blip, They'll be allowed. They'll have that sense of freedom. That this is this is the Spurs way. We've had some bad years where we forgot the Spurs way, and now we're going to do it. And you need a manager that is that's who he is and has yeah. no fear about it. I sort of get the impression from Postecoglou that if anyone was to criticise his defend defensive approach, mm. i.e. at the club, he'd just walk out. So you know what you're getting. This is what I do. That overwhelming sense of this is yeah. everyone's bought yeah, into it. Clarity, yeah. yeah. It's fine. It, a, will, it will work. There is a sense of when managers have this style of the way they want to play, well, this is how we go, and if the opposition know what's coming, don't let don't disappoint them. Mm. You know, Man United mm. did it for years. Everyone knew that Man United played two wingers. They'd literally get round the back of you. They'd play two centre forwards. Things would be coming in from everywhere with high-quality players. You try and stop it. Now, Fergie had years of creating teams that were nearly, I'd say not impossible to play against, but, you know, really tough to play against because they can match you physically and also give you problems. You know, what has Pep done? Pep's got a style that this ain't changing. You know, Klopp's introduced a style that he don't want to change. You know, Klopp's not going to suddenly have a counter-attacking team. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't want to be the manager. If you're going to do that, go and employ somebody else. You know, and I think that's where I think that Postacoglu is... He's won over already hmm. because the f- fans are seeing something they haven't seen for about three or four years, or maybe even longer. Tom, you've, you you wrote about James Madison in uh, in the paper this weekend, a profile piece about his kind of his journey and hmm. and a bit of an insight about his personality too, which undoubtedly you see on the pitch. Hmm. So what did you well, what did you learn in this the, when the you wrote purpose, this piece? The, the, I think the part of the purpose of of doing this piece was because we immediately saw his impact on the pitch. Mm. And as Cass touched on, it was just instant. He fit into that team like he's been there for years and years and years. And I kind of wanted to look into how he's impacted the club as a, off the pitch and why he has been so quick to settle there. And we spoke to loads of different people around him and and people at Spurs had this idea that because obviously they haven't known him that long but they had this idea that because he's a father he has he's very quickly matured and and that might be partially because Stuart Webber in the piece told me that five years ago he was the one saying to Spurs you've got to sign this kid because if you don't the next time he does become available, a club like Spurs won't be able to afford him. That was the trajectory he was on. And of course, Spurs turned him down at that time because of his personality. We like him, but because of his personality. And of course, it's it's it, it has very quickly, because of the interviews he does, and one of the stories I heard was that a, a broadcaster, uh, uh, whether it was uh, this season or last season, they were speaking to the club and they they had they had an interview with Madison before the game they wanted him as is in like a few days before the game they wanted him for the pre-match interview and wanted him for the post-match interview and that's he has made a big impression hasn't he in these interviews and it's all that's it it's because of his interviews 
they're so refreshingly original mm. that he has very quickly changed the image and perspective on him because he because years ago, five years ago, he had this kind of party boy image and an arrogant, cocky player. And there, there's a, there's an element to that. People spoke mm. to he, spoke about him being quite cocky and arrogant. The senior players in teams, Stephen Presley at, at Coventry, said that the senior players said he is a bit arrogant, but that is part of him as a player. That's what makes him mm. great. And there is a fine line between it. And I think it right, still manages to be endearing too. It's absolutely. not like you know cocky so and so no and right now he he is on he is on he falls on the right side yes. of yeah. of that line um and there were just, there were just some really I, I really enjoyed doing this piece because there were just some fantastic stories from his school days where he would uh get this there was this lost property box called the lucky dip and him and his mates would go and get like the most ridiculous outfits tiny little shorts massive sh- massive baggy shirts and they'd sing the national anthem on days when england were playing and just nice little images it was it was it was good fun to do do you know a little just a little bit on personality of madison is that one thing i straight away i, I thought i love this not one mention of him not signing of to Tottenham because Harry Kane was leaving. Now, he would have had an idea, Kane was, like we all did. But he's not gone, I'm not sure if I want to go to Spurs, Kane's leaving. It's been actually, I'll take that mantle up. Yeah. But it, it, it feels like that to me. But he, he had surprisingly few suitors, it seems. I mean, I know yeah. Newcastle, Newcastle were we yeah. spoke about this a few weeks ago, but for the price, like yeah. for, for what's it going to be, 40, maybe rising to 45 million? I know it's a lot of money. And Postacoglu laughed the, last weekend when it was put to him that he was going to be a bargain. Yeah. But, Yes. Do you think that's because of be. last season? Because he didn't have with Leicester and the. I think he had a few injuries last year, but he didn't have the best season last no. year, did he? So he it's did. almost he scored, like he still scored like he still posted great numbers. I think it was like eleven goals, maybe nine right. assists, something like that. Yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah, that surprises yeah. you. Yeah. In a team that was relegated, his numbers are like in the top five since he's been in the Premier League of all players, and the rest of the players are all playing for better teams than him. Yeah. So it's. To me, it was mind-boggling. Is, is no relegation a bit of a problem for prices for clubs? Where you know, later when Hull got relegated, Andy Robertson went to Liverpool for what twelve, eight million? Was it eight, eight, eight million? Yeah. You know, eight million pound. I don't know if it lowers your price tag because you're associated with being in a relegated team, so you can't be that good. Well, there should be more people in for them. Then. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> and whereas you know, Brighton have been brilliant, and Caicedo done brilliant. Uh, 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 Brighton, uh, uh, he's, but he's gone for a hundred odd million. If Brighton yeah. got relegated, what price would a Caicedo be? Yeah, but I think yeah. I do. I do, I do, I do yeah, no, you're right though, Tony. Because Matt, if you think back to Leicester's performances, a lot of it was about oh, the players have given up, and he was part. He was part of that. And I think in a few post-match interviews, he admitted that they weren't. Their attitude wasn't right. So if you've got historic doubts about his personality and then you've got a season in which it's partly a player attitude not just mm. him but collectively but he's part of that as one of the, the more talented players you think oh well maybe there's a doubt there that but, and the reason the reason i think spurs got him was that it's it feels like fate he he always mm. knew he was going to play for spurs one day he modeled himself on christian Eriksen when he played for spurs he feels like a spurs player he feels like you're watching him feels like he's come through the academy mm. It feels like a match made in heaven as well yeah. with Andrew Postacoglu yeah. because I don't know if if he'd have gone to United or he'd gone to Chelsea, I don't think we'd have seen Same these impact. performances. Yeah. No, yeah. and I loved there was he he did one interview where he he said about 
the, the conversation that he had with Postacoglu on the phone. And one of the things that convinced Madison to go there was that Postacoglu said, James, if if you come or not, we're going to play really well this season. And they had that, along that message, and it was like, wow. We'll go to the South Coast next, and another star performer was young Evan Ferguson, hat-trick hero. He was outstanding, and there seems to be the sort of sense that there's not there's a very very high ceiling for this for this kid. He's only 18, 19 next month, scoring goals at a, a rate of knots. Well, you were there, only, you were there, Gregor, was, and was, you were yeah. not surprised, were you? No, he's he's got a bit of everything. He has he's got the strength and the power to be a a, a target man. He's got the kind of intelligence, uh, the technique and the movement to link up play, which you have to do in a Roberto De Zerbi's Brighton team. And he's got the pace to stretch defences. He's got he's got a bit of everything. So, you know, there's some quite outlandish comparisons being drawn <laughs> since this. You know, it's just probably... He's, we, we all knew he was outstanding last season, but this is the clearest evidence yet that he's, he's a star. Um, and, you know, Gary Lineker drew a parallel with Erling Haaland. But he has got that kind of physicality that makes you kind of your eyes widen a little bit and it was an outstanding performance and Roberto De Zerbi said that he thinks he can be one of the top goal scorers in Europe right. is this too much too young for a 18 year old he doesn't look like he's going to be faced by it no uh, if you see his interviews yeah. he's really feet on the ground absolutely and loves playing football yeah. he just I mean look he's public violence striker and I've had loads of conversations about you know Evan and what type of player he is, and then you're right. He's just—it's hard to because he has got a bit of everything. Yeah, and he's—he's he's probably seven or eight in most departments. He's not six in any of them because he can, you know. I think he's in some strange way he's heading. It's still, you know, expect him to improve on his heading ability as well. And he's fearless. He—he he seems to have a, a swagger about him. And I mean, look, Brighton are a side that. If you're a centre forward, it's a bit of a dream. Matamo going down one side, and then you. I mean, it's interesting because we were talking about players and clubs and moving. Gilmore's gone to Brighton, and he's playing really well. Mm, Gilmore but was then, fascinating to watch. At the yeah, weekend. and you know he's a really good player, Gilmore. Well, you know, I was lucky enough to be at the Euro uh, game against um, Scotland, where us Gilmore held his own. He was comfortable in the game, and then watch him go to Norwich and struggle, and then he goes to Brighton. Oh, and by the way, another Brighton player starts and shines and shows what he's capable of. Because I think again, it's all about when you walk into a team that complement you and improve your game. Because he does bring the team into play. Solly Marsh, you know, Solly Marsh is again another really good player. His numbers are up. Everybody's numbers are up at Brighton. Yeah, and um, and and he will. And the thing that excites me is that you're going to see Ferguson play a lot of games this season. He's not going to be a bit part player like he was because last year he was coming to the fold and showing what he can do. They were really impressed. They got him. What did they do, Brian? Got him on a five-year deal immediately. Yeah. Immediately. There weren't even a, you know, a conversation of, oh, others might be looking. Straight away, Brian, five-year deal. They know what they've got. And I think... That in itself, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this season pans out for him. How many people around this table thought, oh, that defeat to West Ham, maybe Brighton, oh, it's going to be a difficult season with Europe and everything. Because of what they did last season, any blip, they completely... <laughs> blew away. Bl- exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, that, I, that, to me, was exactly the performance I was expecting, even against a strong Newcastle side, that they would not let... There's something about 
I don't know if it's Deserby particularly, but there's something about the way they do not dwell on any any mm-hmm. setbacks it's the same, whatsoever. Well, it's, it's what the you said about Postacoglu. No, yeah, no, I was just going to say, that, Tony, it's yes, the same that, clarity yes. and conviction in what they're doing. Like, the, the start of this game, Newcastle started really well. They pressed them really, like, ferociously. They made it, forced a couple of errors. Isaac could have scored twice. Almiron could have scored. But they kept doing it. They kept trying to build from the back and, you know, almost, almost bait the press. You know, you could see the centre-halves standing on the ball around the halfway line waiting for someone to draw in to create some space try and find a little pocket of space for Billy Gilmore to get on the half turn and he's kept doing it and kept doing it and by then you know midway through the second half Newcastle were just pulled from pillar to post and it was a dominant dominant one did anyone ask about goalkeeping because he's done it again to Zerbe so he he he, he makes these strange mid-season or any I, I mean Jason Steele was he's golden boy but he's relegated to the the bench suddenly because he is ruthless about if he sees mistakes yeah. he doesn't do the whole well it, a goalkeeper's confidence needs building it's like it's to do with the ball at the feet again I mean I know Jason Steele's very good with the ball at his feet at but I think he's even better there were a few in the first half where he tried to play it to the full back and it was they were cut out but he is very good on the ball and it's like he's he's like another another man in the build up phase did he so. miss out on Onana then did he we've had quite a few um, Brighton lovings uh, down the last couple of years and it's before Deserby came in and it's the platform of that club it's everything exactly it's all over but what I love about Deserby is that every time a player has a real outstanding performances the natural move from managers tends to be to try and temper that excitement he does the opposite I mean with Mudrick he was saying and this was a player who'd gone but he said he can win the Ballon d'Or there aren't many higher (laughs) individual there's no individual prize that a player can win bigger than that with Solly March this season he said he can get uh, was it 15 goals he said a guy who was playing left back a few uh, when you look at Sully Marsh's numbers over the previous year and I mean he got goals last season but the years before it's like three in five years or mm. something and it's just amazing and then as you pointed out Gregor this with Evan Ferguson top goal scorer in Europe that is that's quite a target to set and and it's funny because I think we all had that similar feeling with watching him because it is still quite early in his development and I remember uh, in January I was spent a bit of time at Oxford United and they were they were looking to get him on loan mm. and thought it was going to happen and then he comes into the into the first team for I think it was a cup game and scores scores a couple of goals um and he's never there's there's no chance he's leaving so he's gone from potentially league 1 to now being told he's going to be to, to, hmm. could be top goal scorer in in Europe but we watch him and there was this you know when Gary Lineker said about him being like Erling Haaland you kind of thought well, that does feel a bit big it and does, a yeah. bit Ambitious, but at the same it's time, to, you watched it and thought you're trying to stop yourself from having those thoughts. It's to do with his, his physicality. It's yes. so jarring for someone so young. But and do you he, think Haaland was the same? Do you think it's also because he's this young guy from County Meath in, in Ireland <laughs> that 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 also kind of stops us from thinking that there is that potential there? Like stupidly, but he's not this exotic player from no. abroad. That's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. And Deserbies can even bought into the. You know, he's obviously asked about because there's been so many players who've been sold for multi, multi millions. He just said that the problem is not not when we sell them; it's 
that we always find someone to replace them. And so he's totally bought into the kind of yeah. the whole ethos of the club. So the question is, what's Brighton's what's Brighton's ceiling? Obviously they've got a great draw in the Europa League as well. They've got trips to Ajax, Marseille, AEK Athens. They've just signed on loan a, a former team prodigy from Barcelona and Ansu Fati. It's a great week for the club. What you know, what's their what's their ceiling? Can well anyone... I'm I'm more excited about their Europa League brilliant draw, um, isn't it? journey than any any anyone any at the first stage of the Champions League to be quite Absolutely. honest it's a really glamorous group yeah. and they'll be I just very interested in what their opponents make of them because there is this thing in Europe that if you haven't got any pedigree they tend to treat you like dirt but they'll be foolish if they do that and will Brighton just, just play like they all will mm. they alter for Europe or will they just go out and, and, and try and blitz them Probably oh, the latter, I expect. Yeah, so that it will be a shock to the system for some of some some elite clubs in Europe. It's a great history. They they will find themselves thinking, "Oh, we're only playing Brighton. Who are they? Oh my goodness!" Yeah, I did a piece for La Provençale in Marseille about seven eight years ago, and I had a go at Marseille about their style of play. I said Marseille have got on their badge Dwatter boot, which is right to go, straight to go. Okay, that's on their badge. That's their idea they go after everybody and Marseille kept playing counter-attacking football and I've, I don't like to mention but a very Graham Potter type of way which isn't suited to me for a big club and I think Spurs have shown that and I think you obviously saw that with Potter's Chelsea um, and so I've always sort of said that's their style okay that's what Marseille should be and then they've got them in the cup and I think in Europe and I think well you're playing the team that should have that on their badge <laughs> You're, that should be their badge because that's exactly how Brighton play. They yeah. come after you from everywhere, and it's done with wing backs, full backs. You know, I see people like Veltman who's been there forever, eight hundred grand, and I've watched him for Ajax and you know, and done Pascal, a great, a great servant to the Pascal club. Pascal Gross got his first yeah. Germany call up this yeah. week as well. Exactly. Louis Dunk called up for England. But to a man, you could nearly go for every player in their team. Yeah, and that's without the ones they've sold. And I look at them and I think, I want Marseille to play like them. I think every team in the league yeah. watches Brighton now and says, I want my team to play yeah. like that. Yeah. They're the best value ticket in the in the country. The, the, the thing that will be interesting is if a big club uh, decides to part way with a manager it, this season because I think anyone think, would look at Deserby and think he improves players because you mentioned Billy Gilmore earlier. He didn't have a good season there last year. No. Struggled to play too much and 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 I worried a little bit for him because with McAllister and Caicedo going they are massive boots to fill and he's had a brilliant start to the season he was on him in the first half Deserbi he was, was he? about turning opening up his body <laughs> under pressure but he thinks he can do that and it's about you know breaking the lines quickly but Gilmore I think you know were it not for Ferguson's hat trick yeah. he probably would have been man of the match mm-hmm. so great start for Brian. But isn't it a wonderful contrast between the two clubs because Newcastle are also back in Europe and oh they're in the Champions League and yet mm. I feel less excited about how they're going to do than how Brighton are going to do it just feels like a fate complete to yeah. me that it's going to be really tough for Newcastle yeah. it's a great draw though still I mean the pedigree oh, and the kind of oh, pedigree the right word for PSG <laughs> anyway you know Paris Saint-Germain Borussia Dortmund and Milan it's, it's a great draw for yeah. Newcastle still and it's, yeah. it's, obviously that's the third defeat in a row it's not crisis point yet but there's obviously you know they've got two weeks now to stew on uh, three-point haul from their opening first uh, opening four games so it's not been the no. it can't go on much longer no. you know 
unfortunately PSG have sort of found their way again a little bit and Mbappe settled his differences with the club and they won at Lyon last night 4-1 and they're a little bit better than where they were I think the, the PSG of last season won't be that side they'll be slightly better this year but, but Newcastle got a massive but, challenge in that group yeah but Newcastle I mean it's not a crisis point is it? no of, no no well it's a test of it's a test of the people that run that club now of how they if it, if this continues of how they respond to it because I think that's that was always going to be the problem with achieving top four last season even though it's it was it was way beyond the progress most people expected and it set a bar for Newcastle now because you are now a top four club the Champions League is what is expected it was always the goal you just got there a little bit quicker than anticipated but if now they are there. humiliated so, in the Champions League will Eddie Howe get the sack oh, we're along with lots of F's and bosses. Yeah. yeah lots of I can't just say one thing and, and, and it would have been interesting because I like the boy of, uh, Botman who was obviously injured huge loss and that I would have loved to have seen him up against Ferguson mm-hmm. because he revels in that one on one battle and I think it's not just his absence from Newcastle it's what it does to the team Dan yeah, Byrne has to come in yeah come inside Matty yeah. Target has to go left back and then you could see even the relationship with him and with Byrne and Shar was nowhere yeah. near the same and then the relationship with Bruno in front of them oh, right, just had so much space yeah. in front of their back four so it's quite you know the equilibrium yeah. is quite fragile for Newcastle but they've got a lot a lot of challenges this season and they're going to have to that's the one area of their team where you think the quality the step one, down is huge. One question, Greg, because I, I don't know what, how he finds a way of doing this, Eddie Howe, but I was at the Brentford game last year when Newcastle won the game and first half they played Isaac on his own up front. The moment in the second half they went with Isaac and Callum Wilson, the team seemed to shine way more. I, I just think Isaac is a little bit lightweight. Although he's a very gifted footballer, he needs someone alongside him with a bit of a presence. And Callum Wilson does give you that. Is that, I think he led the line well in the, as I say in the first until Newcastle essentially gifted Brighton and they opened there with Nick Pope's kind of double error and then Callum Wilson just always comes off the bench and makes an impact he scored yeah. the goal although it was a consolation so you're right I mean it's going to be tempting sometimes to go to up front but I think the biggest issue for them is at the back but no, no, no crisis point yet for Newcastle a long way from that we'll go to Anfield next what a parting pool. gift from Salah. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> you knew how to broach it to break the ice, Tom. Come on, guys. There's a week left. <laughs> Is Salah still going to be there? Is it? Well, let's let's just 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 strip it back. Salah doesn't. I mean, he'd get he'd get an amazing salary, eye-watering salary. But he he doesn't get. You know, the the the, the amount of money being offered for him is not under his control or something that he directly benefits from. Uh, what Klopp's doing very cleverly, I think, is sort of just letting it percolate that, of course, they want him because he's the best forward there is. And it's flattering to him, but he wants to clearly show his talents with a club that love him in a league that is competitive. And he's, you know, in the middle of a wonderful career, not at the end of it. It's sort of, he's turned what could be something that, was very disruptive into a positive so that you love him more the crowd don't get on his back it's not his fault that the Saudi league want him it's sort of seen as a badge of honour almost that such ridiculous amounts of money are being mentioned because they you know why wouldn't you want him and I don't 
and the, one of the lovely things about the, the win over a very good Villa team, who I think were off it slightly actually, but generally a good Villa team, was that it didn't feel like it had done anything other than make the unit more cohesive, make them feel more of the, just just more of Liverpool, and that suddenly, why would he want to leave? Because actually, we're, we're playing so well as a group, we could challenge for the title this year, where people have assumed we wouldn't. So it's it's not been disruptive, and I I don't get any sense at all that there's going to be this. I mean, Tom, it has been disruptive. That there's going to be this last-minute hijack. It has been him. disruptive because Klopp has to ask, answer questions continuously about it. And Which is quote, why he's been clever about his it. His quotes were interesting, though. I thought he said that he was asked, "Have you had?" You know, because I think I think Sabozlai said uh, in one interview that he's he's mm. told us he's staying at Anfield. That may have been, you know, he may, that may have slipped out. Then Klopp was asked the same, and he said he's not had any conversation. So you know, you kind of wonder to yourself. Does he not want to have the conversation because he doesn't want to hear the answer? Yeah. Does he not want to give him the opportunity to even make you know answer that question because it's not his choice? Mm. It's a funny kind of yeah. dynamic that though that they've not actually discussed it. Yeah, it's I, clever. It's I'm, clever. Why make it? Why, <laughs> why make it? Why divert attention away from training? Why do that? I'm having a little bit of Monday morning fun by teasing Alison with the idea of Salah going, but I, I genuinely don't don't know whether he stays or goes because I just don't think when you look at the way Saudi have approached business in transfers, they haven't tended to go for anyone they don't think they can get, and. I just wonder whether there has been some encouragement on Salah's part that he would be interested in a possible move there um, because otherwise why go to such extents and why go to these such wild numbers? And I do wonder whether this the way Klopp is speaking is more of a message to FSG mm. than than anyone else because... The problem here is that if you're FSG and you're offered two hundred million pounds for Salah and you think you take it because for a thirty-one-year-old, that's another question. That's another yeah. question altogether. Well, what you know? Should you really, with any sort of sanity, degree of sanity, turn down that kind of money for a thirty-one-year-old? No, but the, the reason I'm sa- the reason I was saying that was because the problem is if you accept it, I worry, and and I do think that they have they they have brilliant alternative options not as good as Salah but they have brilliant alternative options to him so they're they're almost preparing for life after Salah at some stage but if they accept now I worry about what that does to Jurgen Klopp and the relationship that Jurgen Klopp has because I don't think uh, Ali's a million miles wrong. I think they could they could potentially be the challengers to City this season. Yeah, it's a bit of a selfish choice for a player, isn't it? If you think of what they did to golf and Dustin Johnson leaving the PGA, Deschambeau leaving the PGA as well, Cameron Smith, these are players that commanded at least two to three hundred million dollars, and they can't you know you can't even get a buyback clause on them. <laughs> There's no buyback on them, you know, so they can go to whatever number they think's possible. That's the danger that Premier League football is facing. You know, we're not going to be in Sydney and go, oh, sadly, what? They're only going to 160. <laughs> we'll go 170. We'll go 171. They go, no. Yeah, the no, next that's... one's 50 million. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, I, I'm hopeful he stays. Some players are irreplaceable. Um, but if you look at the, what we've talked about, the Brighton model, and Brentford have done it, that you can move on players and there's always someone to step into their shoes. I get that. I just feel that the season started, and for Salah, you know, I was asked that question, what would I do? And I say, 
I wouldn't want to leave the standard of football I'm playing Exactly. In. You know, I got offered China and Switzerland at the very end of my career. And I thought, do I want to go to the Swiss League? Now, the league uh, in France is better than the Swiss League, but there isn't a massive gulf. There are leading clubs in France, but I didn't. And then when China came out, I was like, whatever I'd done in China didn't matter. It was only purely going to be about a move of money. And it wasn't the sums of money that we're even close to thinking about. And I, I remember thinking that at the time, I just didn't want to go and play in a league that I didn't think was competitive and would it excite me. Now, it's a, it's always a tough one because you're putting that, like I said, that Sophie's choice of the mind-boggling money. It's not like I was at Marseille and I'm getting, I don't know, oh, sorry, I was at Nancy when I got the, the China option. And I was getting like six thousand pound a week, which is still a lot of money today. And they're offering me ten. Okay, so yeah, it's it, it's better, but you know, it was. But when you're being offered, I don't know, you're being paid three hundred grand a week, and someone's going to say, "We'll give you one point seven million net." It, it, it's one of them. Unless you're being, it's put to you, you might not even know how you're going to react to it. But he could get that money when he's a bit of older. Of course, yes, he doesn't course, have to yeah. do it now. No. That money will be available to him yeah. when he's a bit older. I get, I, the standard would bother me. I would be thinking about, I'm playing the Premier League, one of the best leagues around, Champions League football, the Ballon d'Or and everything that goes with it. And by the way, Salah would earn a fortune off, you know, via social media and, you know, just Salah's brand is worth a huge fortune anyway. I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Some interesting comments from Gareth Southgate about this as well, which we'll speak about on Thursday in reference to Jordan Henderson of course he's gone out to Saudi Arabia just one last point on the game obviously Salah was a, a big story in this and he scored he scored the third I think Paul uh, Joyce wrote today that it's the 150th game he scored in and scored in, in 309 Liverpool appearances so yeah we cannot underestimate how important a player this is for Liverpool but Zabozlai looks, yes. already looks like a star he's very young 22 well, he's going to be 20, 23 next month, but he okay. talks. And You're going to get my birthday card. <laughs> <laughs> he, but I was sort of shocked to be reminded of his age because yeah, he talks like he's 32. He plays like he's 32, but he's got the fitness dynamism. and aggression yeah. and dy- dynamism yeah. of a 22-year-old. Wow, what a combination. And he's got, he's got match intelligence He's played hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of games. I don't know where he's started. He's captain of Hungary, isn't he? Mm. I mean, this is madness. And I think, to a degree, his signing was slightly under the radar, just ever so slightly, because, I don't know, maybe because because people just didn't, cause it, it, just didn't see enough of him to know how he would slot in. But he slotted in so, so quickly. And there's just something about his calmness and... Snow again. In, yeah, let's call him Snow uh, or Sleep or something. But he, he there's it's a heat wave, uh, he, the, the, the speed, <laughs> the speed at which he has assimilated into that club yeah. is 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 so impressive. He will be, I think, he's going to be one of those fan favourites, those cult like figures. Him? Do you like him more than Steve Highway for our younger listeners? Because <laughs> I know how much you love Steve Highway from the, the late seventies. <laughs> yeah, no, there'll never be anyone as wonderful as Stevie Highway. Well, Stevie Highway is the reason I'm sat here talking to you about football. He made me fall in love with football. He was a ballerina on on grass. <laughs> right. I think that's about all we've got time for. There's so many good games this weekend too. I think it was one of those where no one deserved to be last on match of the day. 
some great, great games elsewhere. And yet we about. put Liverpool last on the podcast. Well, Strange. Yeah, that was my choice today. No. <laughs> no. Anyway, we'll be back on Thursday to, to talk about international football. Tom Roddy, Tony Cascarino and Alison Rudd, thank you very much for joining me. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you're subscribed, leave us a review and we'll be back on Thursday.